You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to Now Hear This. I'm your host, Chris Spangle. Now Hear This is a conversation with leaders in Indianapolis that are working to improve the lives of Hoosiers. Our goal is to empower you to join in their work and make a difference while informing you about the unseen aspects of life in Indiana. If you miss an episode, you can listen via podcast at nowhearthisindy.com. Today, my guest is Rochelle Gardner, who is the executive director of Hope Academy. Their website is hopeacademyrhs.org. And so thank you so much for joining me. And can you tell us what is the Hope Academy? Sure. Thank you for having me, Chris. Um, Hope Academy is a uh, charter high school sponsored by the mayor of Indianapolis, and it is a school that has a niche um, of helping um, high school students who are struggling with substance abuse. Um, And so all of our kids come to us that have either um, that are currently struggling with substance use, have been in treatment or currently in treatment um, for their, for their drug and alcohol use. And our goal is to kind of do two things. It's to help them, um, gain a high school diploma or get on track and stay on track for that, as well as address their drug and alcohol use, um, and, um, get them into recovery from that. Um, so we have two sets of staff that work well, that work together. We have teaching staff that are licensed, highly qualified teachers in their core subject areas, Um, And that we have recovery coaches who are peers that have been through um, or are currently in recovery themselves. Um, Young people that um, that help the the students figure out triggers and different things that they need to do differently in their lives, you know, friends, those kinds of things um, to to get uh, clean and sober and, and work a recovery program. Well, this is uh, an amazing idea and such a great idea, and it's one reason that I'm a, I'm a big fan of charter schools because you can have a lot more flexibility with things. But for those in our audience who may not know what a charter school is or how it works, could you give us a brief idea of, of how charter schools work and then how did Hope Academy come about? Sure. So uh, charter schools are just another alternative for um, um, parents and students to get a whatever for us, for a high school education. Um, You know, when we decided that we, basically what was happening was we were treating young people for their drug and alcohol use, returning them to their home schools. And within 30 days, they were returning to use. Um, It's probably sooner, quicker than that. But, um, you know, a national statistic is that 80% of students return to drug and alcohol use around 21 to 30 days prior to leaving treatment. And so with that issue, we decided that maybe we needed to look into some sort of educational piece. And so we, you know, we vetted out the alternatives of public education, you know, joining a township school or, um, you know, being a private school. And at the time, which was about 16 years ago, the charter movement just came on, on um, in Indianapolis. And, you know, we wanted to be a niche school for, for a population of students, not a large population, you know. Our capacity is around 75 to 80 students, but a capacity or be a school that would help students kind of finagle high school, but also in a safe, supportive environment around drugs and alcohol. And so that's why we kind of chose the mayor's route. And so several ways you can become a a, a charter school, you know, through a township, through the mayor's office of Indianapolis, 
There's some colleges that can sponsor charter schools like Ball State, and there's also the state uh, charter school board that can sponsor charters. And so we've been with the mayor's office since inception. Uh, so that's three three mayors now that we've been through with uh, Mayor Peterson, Mayor Ballard, and and now Mayor Hogsett. Um, very supportive office and really helps helps um, the city of Indianapolis have a school that you know really isn't trying to take student you know the the cream of the crop, so to speak, from the township schools or any other charter schools, it's really trying to meet a niche of students that really struggle in um, a traditional school setting that need this extra support. Yeah, it, you know, when when I first got the pitch for this uh, conversation, you know, first you go, oh, wow, cool, that's what a what a neat idea. And then you go, oh, these are kids who are dealing with drug addiction. I mean, what, what are the age ranges? I mean, I've, I've been out of high school for a while, but what are the age ranges of, of the, the kids that you're treating and how does someone so young fall into this? Yeah. So the, you know, our, our students tell us, you know, there are, so we have high school age students. So, um, but our students tell us that they start using drugs and alcohol around age 11 mm. or 12. So they're in middle school, early middle school, um, it escalates, you know, to the point by the time they've, um, you know, gotten in trouble at school, they might've gotten in trouble legally. Certainly parents have, have, they're having family discord, um, those kinds of issues. And so, um, by the time someone is addressing their drug and alcohol use, they're typically 16, 17 years old. So five or six years have gone by where they might have been talking to somebody about their depression or their anxiety, but not necessarily about their drug and alcohol use. And so um, it's well impacted their academics. Our students come to us at least a semester behind, if not a full year behind um, what their age is and what grade they're supposed to be in. So it really impacts their ability to learn, their ability to um, be engaged in any type of learning environment, really to be engaged in any type of living situation other than how am I going to get through the day and how am I going to get high? Um, the reason adolescent substance abuse is such a significant issue and needs to be addressed um, is that when kids are struggling with those, you know, just normal growing up kinds of things, how to have friends, you know, not being included, you know, they might be stressed. Um, they might have anxiety around different things and someone introduces them to a substance be it alcohol, be it marijuana, be it a pill or something like that, and it alleviates them for them, then they think, oh, well, the next time I feel that way, what can I take that can alleviate that again? And then it becomes a coping mechanism where in adult brains are already, are already formed typically. And so that's why adult addiction kind of takes a little longer to manifest itself to be causing problems in their daily lives and and um, allow somebody to say, hey, I need to do something different. With kids, their brains are constantly forming. Um, you know, it becomes a coping mechanism. And our kids, let's face it, our world today, our world in general is pretty stressful for a young person. You know, there's a lot of pressure on them to, you know, be the best of the best. Uh, with social media, I mean, they, they do not get a break from just life in general. It is 24 seven for them. And so, um, drug and alcohol use just becomes a bigger and um, a bigger coping mechanism for them. As, and as we, you know, we look across the country and as we, you know, um, 
legalize marijuana and I'm not saying we should or we shouldn't legalize marijuana. I'm just saying what happens with adolescents is it's not legal for them. Um, their, the availability is, is far greater for them now. They can get it easier. Um, and um, they'll say, well, it's, it's legal now, but you know, for them, they don't understand how it's impacting their brain, how it's impacting their, their vital organs, how it's impacting all their social emotional health. Um, and so then it just becomes this, you know, this, this constant cycle. Um, and it, it, it does become an addictive substance for them. Um, their brains get rewired, then they can't feel normal without some sort of, without the marijuana in their brain or any other substance for that matter. And it, and it, and it, according to them, it leads to other things. Hmm. So I want to ask about availability because I mean, is it, you know, it's at home and they, they pick it up there. I mean, or, you know, how do, how does someone 11 years old find, you know, I mean, alcohol's easy, but drugs, you know, especially marijuana or harder drugs. Is it just because it's, it's, they live in a, a home that may have drug use or drug addiction? Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of our kids today, a lot of kids in general today come from, you know, um, homes that either have second or third generation addiction or at least substance use disorder in them. Um, they have older siblings. Um, you know, it is all around Indiana where it's legal now. So it's, it's getting to Indiana a lot easier, crossing borders. Um, the dark web, they can get it off the dark web. Um, you know, and, and once, once one student has it, um, you know, in a school, then everybody knows where to go to get it. Mm. So it just becomes much more available. Our kids tell us that marijuana is easier to get than alcohol. <laughs> any any now, idea why? I, because I think it's more widely used. Um, alcohol, you have to be 21 to get it. So they don't know a lot of 21-year-olds. Um, they do know a lot of, of kids, of, of older siblings or parents maybe that are doing that. So um, and it's, it's a lot easier to get I, the pills, you know, um, there's been a lot of, you know, as we've had this opiate crisis going on in our country, um, I think we've done a, a, a better job of helping parents see the importance of locking it up, locking those things up or not, not requesting as much from the doctor, you know, instead of getting 50 pills after your, after you get your wisdom teeth pulled, you only get three or four. Um, but you know, it's still, it's still, there's a, Kids have a lot of grandparents that have a lot of, of substances, pills that they can use that they just, you know, kind of take. Um, and, and then people, again, people know who to go to when uh, to get it. We are talking to Rochelle Gardner, who is the executive director of Hope Academy. You, you can find them at hopeacademyrhs.org. It is a charter school that uh, serves teens, high school age, who are dealing with drug and alcohol addictions. Uh, so what does your high school look like? You know, I mean, when people think of high school, they think of math class and, you know, maybe gym or, you know, that, that standard view. But what does yours look like and how is it different given that you serve a special community? Sure. So um, one of the things about our school is the, the secret sauce really about Hope Academy is the culture of the students and the staff. Um, you know, it's a, it's a culture of community, of support. Um, of like-minded people that are going through the same things that can help each other. So a typical day looks like the whole school meets together for first period every day. 
and it's really focused on self-improvement or recovery concepts or um, you know life change how to change life skills those kinds of pieces then the rest of the day is really a traditional school they go to math they go to social studies they go to um, uh, science they go to you know english um, but all day long they're supported by a team of people with our recovery team that if they're struggling in school you know maybe they're having a bad day in class because of a fight they had with their parents before they got on the bus or you know, maybe, maybe they um, use the night before and they need to talk to somebody about, about that. The team of recovery coaches, they're probably the busiest people here um, because they're requested to get talked to, for somebody to talk to them quite a bit. Um, so, you know, so that's how it looks a little different. Um, you know, we're not a one and done school. So if somebody would uh, return to use, um, then, you know, we'll sit down with them, we'll meet with them, we'll talk about what happened, we'll talk about new interventions we can put in place, um, we'll, you know, we'll maybe talk to their parents, um, may recommend therapy or treatment if that's what's needed. Um, but the whole goal is to set them up for success and to teach them how that return to use has it can continue to impact them if it, if it continues and what changes that they can make. Um, so, you know, they do get randomly drug tested here um, that then, you know, they know that um, we will be working with them on on strategies. But the whole goal is, you know, and to celebrate with them as they stay clean and sober and as they have negative drug tests and as they see the improvements in their grades. So how does someone end up there? Is it through referrals from guidance counselors at other schools? Is it a parent that, you know, finds out about you and wants to, you know, where, how, do, how does someone, if you, someone is listening and goes, you know, this is something that I want for my child or my nephew or niece, or, you know, sure. how, how do, how do they get in contact with you and what's that process like? So that's a great question. So we get referrals from all of those. Um, parents just Google us. My son and daughter got in trouble at school for drugs and alcohol and we come up. Um, school counselors or deans refer us, uh, refer students to us. It could be, you know, it might be they've struggled with that a couple of times and the school makes that referral. It could be that they're on their way to suspension or expulsion and the, and the school will send them to us. It might be a probation officer, maybe a therapist who's been working with a client that you know, they're really struggling in school and the therapist thinks that, you know, a smaller school environment um, would be would be better for them. I mean, it's important to know that, you know, our school <clears throat> with 75, 80 kids, you know, you might have less than 10 in your class at any given point. So there really is a lot of individual work that goes on. Our teachers are prepared to deal with kids that come to us with large learning gaps um, because, they haven't been in school or they've been sleeping through school or whatever those things are. So that's the way we get a lot of our referrals. Um, you know, whether it's a phone call or it's a, <clears throat> we have an enrollment form on our website um, that, that uh, people can use. Sometimes it's just giving us a call and saying, Hey, what do you think about my son or daughter? Or what do you think about this kid? I've got in my office today. Um, you know, can you help me talk through that? And we're more than happy to, to kind of do that. You know, the school is not for the thousands and thousands of kids that experiment with drugs and alcohol, okay? This is for the kids that really struggle with making that a consistent choice to not use and who drug and alcohol has severely impacted their lives, school, home life, uh, mental health, you know, those kinds of things. So do you have any wraparound services for the parents 
or resources to help, you know, help the teen stay stable in their home yeah. life if maybe their home life isn't so stable? Sure. So we, we work with, you know, we're, if you look at it as not necessarily a treatment program, but we are a support to the treatment programs that our kids come to us with, or we will refer to a treatment program. But what we do is help, help be the outside support for the work that they're doing in there that we can help them kind of put that in everyday practice. We do have a um, after school program. It's called our Guiding Past the Success program, where we're really trying to teach kids how to socialize have fun, be with other kids and not use, um, and do, you know, do other kinds of behavior, you know, learn other types of skills, life skills around just how to be a kid without drugs and alcohol. In our parent, with our parents, we're launching this September, a parent group um, that will help parents just really understand why, why a school like this exists. Why, why is marijuana not, not so good for my son or daughter when it may not impact me the same way? Why, you know, what are some parenting skills um, and really help connect them with other parents that have kind of been through the same thing who may be on the other side now. Um, That's great. Uh, it's great to hear. So you have uh, recently moved and I'm sure that, you know, anytime you move, usually it's, it's to a bigger and better space. So can you tell us why did you move? Where did you move? What's better about it? Sure. So when we launched um, 16 years ago, we launched with a partnership with Fairbanks Treatment Center. Um, and um, about two years ago, we've, we made the decisions, both Fairbanks and Hope, to kind of go out on our own. And so we, we have now done that. We, we opened up in a new space on the south, south, south side of, I don't, not the south, south side, but the, close to the University of Indianapolis. Um, we wanted to, we always wanted to be a school for the larger community. Um, located up on a, on a hospital campus, kind of gave us the feel of maybe more of a treatment program than a traditional high school. Um, and we, we um, so having our own building really helps separate us as an education, seen, seen as an education facility. Um, and so we're hoping that being more centrally located will help, um, you know, the other, other communities really be able to use us. We served over 30 different high schools. So anywhere from Noblesville High School to Greenwood High School, um, you know, Avon, uh, Hancock, Greenfield Central, all of those different schools we are able to do. We're hoping that this is a better location to be able to do that. That's great. Um, you know, you're close to the red line there uh, near U of I. How important is public transit to your students? Um, I think it will become more important to us. I mean, being located up um, in Castleton, public transportation. We did have some kids that took that after they transferred two or three buses, but not a lot. I think it will become more um, uh, important to us. We do have transportation of our own. So we have uh, two buses, a north side bus and a, and a south side 465 loop bus that we do provide transportation. I would say 75% of our kids take transportation, um, take our buses right now. Um, I, I think as parents become more and more after COVID, obviously, more and more used to the red line and, and public transportation, it might be a little more um, important to, to where we are. But we are located on it. Um, and I know that would have helped a couple of kids last year. You know, I'm sitting here, you know, when, when someone's talking, I'm listening and thinking about the next question I'm going to ask. And when you mentioned COVID, I thought, I almost forgot to ask about COVID. Uh, I almost forgot to ask about the pandemic because yeah. you're you're a school. And when we talked to Fairbanks, our friend Eric Totterud over there for the show, 
You know, it was it was early on in the pandemic, and it was you know they were doing a lot virtually, and I know that that is probably tougher because, as I understand it, uh, the recovery process is you need you need people, you need contact, you need physical contact, face to face contact, that can be so important. So, what have you? decided to do in the face of the pandemic are you going to be in class uh, how, how how do you handle that well so we we started on monday our school year and we started in person um, because we're a small school and we have a very large space we're able to socially distance wearing masks you know following all of the cdc and the marion county health department's recommendations um, it was really important to our parents and students that they were able to come to the building um, and be with their other students. When we flipped back in February, um, as we did a great job and the kids did a great job, it was such a, um, it was so new to us because we didn't do an e-learning option before, um, that it was really hard to keep the kids engaged, not necessarily academically, but in the recovery piece. They weren't going anywhere, you know, they were pretty much quarantined because of their parents and weren't going anywhere. And I think as we opened up, I think they saw it was a little harder um, to avoid people, places, and things that would cause, you know, them to want to use drugs and alcohol, not to mention just the mental health that it caused, the issues that it caused them. They were isolated and induced some of the trauma that they've experienced in the past. So it was real important, and it is real important to us that we can remain in person. So we're doing everything we can do to make sure that our environment is as healthy as it can be, so that we can remain in person as much as possible. What, do, what does some of that look like specifically? I mean, temperature checks, you said social yeah. distancing, you know, uh, and do you do single classrooms? Is it broken up into different classrooms? Like how physically will people be spaced out and what do your classrooms look like? Yeah, so we, we do have a single a classroom for each of the subjects. Um, when a student comes in, off the, they wear masks on the bus and they have assigned seats on the bus. Um, when they come in, they are, their temperature's checked and they're asked the COVID questions. When they go into their classrooms, they sanitize their hands. Um, they're given um, uh, wipes and they wipe down their seat. There's one, one person to a table. Um, so there's, you know, 10 tables in a classroom. So that's six feet apart. And then the teacher stays around them. What we've said is anytime you're moving, you have your mask on. So if you get up to ask the teacher a question, you put your mask on teacher comes to your desk, you both have your masks on. Um, if you're passing in the hallways, which we only have three minute passing periods, so there's not a lot of places to move in our school. It's pretty much go to your class or go to the bathroom. Um, we're doing contract tracing, um, you know, for the bathrooms, you know, so we know where and when everybody is. In the lunchroom, they have assigned seats. All classes have assigned seats so that we can, if we had to um, work with the health department on something, we would know who was around them. Um, so we've done a private. We've done a really good job of making sure that um, we're doing everything we can do um, to to keep everybody safe. Um, parents have been great. You know, we've had a couple of kids that they think have allergies, and they've kept them home for at least a day to make sure that's what it was before you know bringing them back to back to school. We have a school nurse, um, and so she's she's really leading the charge um, on all of our COVID planning. We've we're limiting visitors in the building. Um, so, um, you know, and we're blessed to be able to have, uh, a, you know, a small enough, um, student body that we're able to do a, that and still remain in person. 
This is the time for the school nurse to shine right now. This is you know, absolutely not not just band aids anymore, um, or or fake. You know, oh my stomach. Let me go home. Right. Uh, we are right. talking to Rochelle Gardner, who is the executive director of the Hope Academy, which is a charter school here in Indianapolis, servicing students who have uh, who struggle with drug addiction and alcohol addiction. Uh, so when you think of success, like, are there any individuals like when I say what what Give me a couple people that you just are really proud of that t- are great examples of the Hope Academy story. Who sure. who are they? If you can, you know, given privacy concerns, share that with us. Well, there, I have to say there are a lot um, and a lot that I can't nece- I don't necessarily remember because of the 16 years. But I will say that um, they come and they they make themselves known. I just had a young man who was in our 2012 graduating class who went into the military at that time. Um, and so he's you know, almost 30 now, um, but he came uh, requesting his transcripts because he's gonna go back to, high, or back to college, he's out of the military um, to get a degree um, in Arizona is where he, where he lives right now. Um, and so, you know, he struggled, but he's clean and sober now. He's a dad of three. Um, wants to get his high school diploma, he would not be doing that had he not had the experience here. I, I have one young lady that works for me. Well, I have two young ladies that work for me. Both are graduates from here. Um, one is going to Marion's nursing school. Um, the other just graduated two years ago. She's in her sophomore year at IUPUI in psychology. When she came to us, she um, had the had really low self-esteem and was saying things like, I can't do anything right. I can't do school. You know, fast forward two years, two and a half years. She's two and a half years clean and sober. Um, she's about, she was the valedictorian of her high school class. And now she's a sophomore at IUPUI and she's a peer specialist working here. So there's so many stories of these young people. These young people can do great things um, and they do go on and do great things. As long as drug and alcohol use, they figure out how to make, how to, um, either get in recovery, how to alleviate that from their life. And, and this, this school gives them a place, a safe place to figure some of that out. Um, What's, what's kind of the percentage of success? I mean, you know, you, it's not a one fail. So I imagine you're probably very gracious and, and understanding because it is a lifelong struggle, Sure, but you know, what's your rate of success generally? When people ask me that they're, they're usually asking me, what is your percent of kids that stay clean and sober for the rest of their lives? And what I say to that is that in addiction, you can't necessarily measure success that way um, because it's like any other chronic disease, diabetes or heart disease. And we don't ask those questions of, the, of that disease. What I will say that we, how we measure our success is that we have a 90, 93% attendance rate. These kids came to us that, with an average of about 30% attendance. Wow. So they were going to school 30% of the time. They're now coming 90% of the time. We have a 94% credit completion rate, of which prior to that was about 40%. Um, so these kids are completing their credits. And so what that says to me is that in a safe environment, in a supportive environment, um, in a small environment, these kids can can excel. Um, and, and, and part of that is figuring out how to stay clean and sober, staying off drugs and alcohol, how to avoid people, places, and things, how to give their t- their brain some time to heal um, and figure out some different coping skills. So that's kind of how we measure success um, in our in our school. That's tremendous. Um, 
So final question. This is what I ask everybody. In your daily work, what do you see on a daily basis that you wish everybody understood about the, the work that you do? Well, first, I wish everybody knew we were here. <laughs> um, you know, we've been around for 16 years and we're still, people still say, oh, I didn't know you were here. I didn't know you existed. And I think some of that has to do with the relationship with Fairbanks and, you know, being kind of coupled under that um, umbrella for a, for a while. So I'm hoping that now that we're out in our own space and our own building, that people will really start seeing us as a as a partner in the education world and a partner in in uh, young people getting healthy off of drugs and alcohol. That's tremendous. Thank you so much. Uh, we, we've been talking to Rochelle Gardner, who's the executive director of Hope Academy. Their website is hopeacademyrhs.org. Thank you so much for being on the program today. Well, thank you, Chris. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Now Hear This. I'm your host, Chris Spangle. If you missed any portion of our program, you can listen on our website, nowhearthisindy.com. If you'd like to have your organization featured on the show, please call Gabby at 317-475-7407 or via the contact page on our website. Thanks for listening, and we will be back again next weekend with Now Hear This. Confused about the news? If you want to sound smarter when talking with your friends, our mission at the We Are Libertarians podcast network is to inform you about the world in an independent and irreverent way. We take current events far more seriously than we take ourselves. Get all nine of our shows at wearelibertarians.com or in any podcast app by searching for We Are Libertarians. 